0: Happy New Year and welcome back, Missio family. Today, you'll hear Pastor Josh talk about how we all need intentional relationships in our lives if we desire to grow spiritually. We see this in the life and the ministry of Jesus. If you have any questions about Missio, you'd like to join a missional community, or you have any prayer requests, please contact us at missio.life.
1: Well, good morning and happy new year. I know that's maybe about seven days late, uh, but this is the first Sunday that we're back after, uh, I guess, the first Sunday of 2024. So welcome, we're glad that you're here. Uh, It is a new year, and uh, if you, by the way, before we get started, if you have fourth and fifth graders that wanna go hang out over in the um, conference room, they can be dismissed at this time. I wanted to mention that. We do have that for fourth and fifth grade. Um, But it's a new year. And we've got some changes coming, some things happening, exciting things with the church. Uh, And if you're like me, you come into the new year and you're like, man, I've got some goals. You know, we talk about New Year's resolutions, but maybe some goals, some things you want to change, some things you want to address in your life. And for most of us, uh, it's something like, hey, I want to get in better shape. Anybody eat too much over the holidays? Anybody eat just junk, like sugar and baked goods? And nobody's excited to step on the scale right now. Come on, let's be honest. Like, everybody's just like, ah, feeling a little bit guilty and like you need to make some changes. And so, oftentimes, we come into the new year and we've got some goals. We say, I want to exercise more. I want to eat better. I want to get healthy. And that's not uncommon for us to think that way. But what about our spiritual health? Do we put much effort or time into thinking about how am I doing spiritually? And maybe how, how do I want to grow over the next year spiritually? See, we spend a lot of time thinking about our health, physical health, but not a lot of time spiritually. Um, if you've been around the church for any amount of time, typically New Year's, the first Sunday of the New Year, pastors like to get up and talk about vision or talk about how to be you know, better spiritually, and, and those are good things. I love that. I love the fact that we can take just one Sunday and talk about where we're going and how to get there. Uh, Oftentimes you'll hear messages about, hey, just, you need to read your Bible more, you need to pray more, you need to serve more, you need to give more, and those are all good things. I've said all those things, and I will not take away from that. However, I'm not so sure that that is the answer to becoming more like Jesus in the next year alone, those things alone. And so I want to get into the question, how do we actually become transformed? Transformed? Because I titled this message, Transformed in 2024, and my goal for every person in this room is that at the end of this year, you would look a little more like Jesus. Your character would be a little more like Jesus than you are today. And for me too, I want to reflect his heart. I want to reflect his love, his kindness, his grace to others. I want to be more like Jesus at the end of the year. I would guess if we were around the room, most of you would say, yeah, me too. So how do we do that? It's that process of transformation. We call it discipleship, which discipleship very simply is following Jesus. We say we wanna make disciples, we wanna make followers of Jesus and we ourselves want to follow Jesus. Uh, Most churches out there have some kind of a strategy, a discipleship strategy, I've been a part of churches where they have like classes, a series of classes, like 101, 201, 301, 401, and then you get to the end and you're like, Jesus, you're perfect, right? Uh, not really, but, um, but, but it's a good idea. It's a class. Okay, we're going to teach you information. Not a bad thing. Other churches say, well, we don't really have a strategy. We just have a whole bunch of programs and, and somehow we hope you'll turn out a disciple at the end of all of that. Um, and that has some merit to it. But I believe that as a church, we want to be very focused on how we make disciples. It's kind of a big deal. Jesus said, go therefore make disciples of all the nations. That was his last words to his disciples is, hey, go make more disciples. So if it's important, then we want to be focused on how we do it. So today, my hope is to be very clear and articulate. What is our strategy for making disciples? How do we be transformed And how do we help other people be transformed? Because I think that's the goal, right? We want to reflect Jesus more and more. So um, many, many times we think of discipleship in terms of that classroom thing. Like, hey, if I just have more knowledge, if I just learn some new things about the Bible, then I'll grow spiritually. There's some truth in that. We need to understand the Word of God. It changes us. But I know a lot of Christians, and you probably do too, who've studied the Bible for years. And year after year, they struggle with the same sins. They never really live free. They struggle to make disciples, to reach new people who don't yet know Jesus. And so just studying the Bible alone doesn't guarantee that we're gonna grow spiritually. We need that plus application. We need to learn how to live it out in real life. And I think this is what Jesus Modeled for us, so today we're going to look at a couple of scriptures, and we're going to see how did Jesus do ministry. It was happening a long time ago, different culture, different place, part of the world, all of that. But there are some principles that we see from the life and ministry of Jesus that I think are super relevant for us today, right now in our culture. So if we feel stuck spiritually, I'm going to say that it might not be because we we don't have enough information. It might be because we need a little more application, right? Instead of learning new things, what if we needed to experience some new things? And that's where we're going as a church. We are a gospel-centered church. Everything that we do is centered around the truth, the truths of the gospel, Jesus Christ. And it changes everything. And I'm going to explain a little bit more what that means. So the first thing that we need is we need a different framework of discipleship. Many of us, again, think educational. Education equals spiritual growth. I'm gonna argue that we need education, but we also need relational. We need a relational discipleship where we are in relationship with other people, and that's how Jesus did it. We're coming off the heels of our Christmas series. It was God with us, and we talked about how God came down from heaven, right, through the gift of Jesus, and he was with us, Emmanuel, God with us, John 1:14 the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. So God came down, literally came down from heaven to invade earth, to put on human flesh and to be with us. And so Jesus, as he did his earthly ministry, he spent time with his disciples. He hung out with them. And this is a little different than our day, but in Jesus' day, if somebody wanted to be a disciple, they would leave their home, they would leave their family, they would leave their job, they hung up their fishing nets and they said, hey, we're gonna follow around this guy named Jesus for the next three years of our life. 24 hours a day. Like, talk about immersive, right? They followed Jesus around and they watched what he did. They listened to how he spoke. They watched how he treated people. And they just kind of soaked it all in. So Jesus' way of discipleship was not so much a classroom, but teaching as he lived life with his disciples. I want to share a quote from a book called Mentoring for Mission. It says, through the disciples' continual exposure to who he was, what he did and said, Jesus intended them to discern and absorb his vision, mindset, and mode of operation. He desired them to become so saturated with the influence arising from his example and teaching, his attitudes, actions, and anointing, that every single area of their lives would be impacted toward greater likeness to himself. The approach he decided on was simple and formal, practical and holistic. The totality of shared life experiences made up the disciples' classroom, and their teacher, teacher's words merely needed to further elucidate the lessons already gained from his life. So Jesus' classroom was life. He said, disciples, follow me around. We're going to come and we're going to do some things, and I'm going to teach you, and I'm going to correct you, and I'm going to help you get it. This is what the kingdom of God looks like. If you have a Bible, we're going to go to Mark chapter 9. I want to give you an example of this. And Jesus did this often, many times throughout Scripture. I just picked one. I'm like, this this is a great one. So Mark chapter 9 starting in verse 33, if you want to follow along, otherwise we have it on the screen. And this is the little argument that the disciples had about who's the greatest. (laughs) Verse 33, they came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way, they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the 12 and said, if anyone wants to be first, He must be the very last and the servant of all. He took a little child and had him stand among them. Taking him in his arms, he said to them, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. So the disciples are having a little conversation on the road. Jesus asks the questions, Hey, Jesus always asked questions he knew the answer to, doesn't he? He said, what were you talking about? Ah, dang it. And so they, they kept quiet because they didn't want to say. They knew it was wrong, but they're like, okay, well, we were arguing about who was the greatest. And Jesus was then able to address their hearts. He said, hey, you guys don't get it. You want to be first in my kingdom? You need to be last, you need to be the servant of all. My kingdom is upside down. You don't, you don't push your way up the ladder for success. You go down and serve. You want to be great in the kingdom? Get involved in the kids' ministry. That's what he said. Go serve some children. That'll, that'll bring some humility to your heart. So Jesus was able to address, and this is just a conversation along the road. They're, just, they're walking along and they sit down. and This is the way Jesus taught. This is how he influenced these disciples and he addressed their hearts. See, they didn't want to tell him because they knew that it was wrong, but when you are in the context of relationships, you can't really hide, can you? Um, The best spiritual growth happens in the context of relationships. I'm sure the 12, they could have just justified like, oh man, we were just trying to figure out like Who's in charge of this and who's in charge of that? Or, or maybe who gets to sit closest to Jesus at the next meal? They could have had all kinds of reasons to justify their argument. But Jesus called them out. He said, no, your, your heart's not right. It's, you need humility and you've got pride. And that's the process of discipleship that we're after is tending to the heart. Like what's really going on in here? What's really going on in my heart? That's, that's what we need to get to. And when we, when we explain that, when we um, talk about that amongst our church family, it's a matter of how do we apply the gospel to where my heart's at? We call that gospel fluency. So if you've heard us say that before, gospel fluency, that, that's what it means. It means how do we apply the truths of God's word, the truths of the gospel to my heart in this situation? Um, and it's almost like learning a new language. For many of us, uh, we've been at this for a few years and we've been talking about this and it's a little clunky at times, it's like trying to go speak Spanish when you just aren't very good at it, you know, you're trying to string a sentence together and um, I'd like to think that maybe I've grown a little bit in the last three years of of learning to be fluent in the gospel, but I want to give you an example of a time I was absolutely not fluent in the gospel. Um, So when I first started seminary, the first class that I had to take was evangelism, evangelism class. And there was an assignment, and they said, okay, this week you have to go share the gospel, do a gospel presentation to three people that you have no relationship with. Like, just go find three randos on the street and share the gospel with them. And some of you, are you anxious right now just me telling you that? Like, oh. And so I went out and did this thing, and it didn't go very well, we'll just say. Um, And part of it was I, I had to overcome fear, that was good. Um, I was able to kind of, you know, check the box and do the assignment, write the paper and submit it. And, and there was some value in that, I guess. I just feel like I was faithful or something. Um, but as I reflected on it, I felt like it wasn't the most effective way to reach somebody. And what, it, what I found was there were t- two problems that I had with it. The first one is I had no relationship. They didn't know me from Adam. I just walked up to them and said, hey, do you want to know about how to, you know, go to heaven when you die? And they're like, uh, yeah, I guess. <laughs> And I had no relationship with them, so it felt very disjointed. It felt like it was a sales pitch, like I was a used car salesman trying to sell them a rusty old minivan that they didn't want, you know? Um, And the second thing was my gospel was way too small. All I approached it with was like, hey, do you want to go to heaven when you die? Which is hugely important, eternally important. But the gospel is so much bigger than that. The good news of Jesus envelops all of life. The good news of Jesus affects my marriage, my kids, my job, my finances, my my hopes and dreams, my purpose. Like the gospel is good news to all of that. And I didn't understand that until years later. Now, if you go out and you share the gospel that way and you like to cold call people and it works for you, blessings. I don't want to discourage you from doing that. But I would say that for me personally, growing in gospel fluency means to learn, how do I just weave this into normal conversations and I don't have to flip a switch and go into sales mode? Or It's just like, it's actually good news and our lives become good news to the people around us. And we begin to offer hope and words of encouragement. So when we talk about discipleship and we define it as a church, this is what we call it. Moving from unbelief to belief in every area of life, in light of the gospel. So how do we trust God with all of life? Absolutely with our eternity. We need his forgiveness. We need to be uh, forgiven from our our sin problem. That is absolutely important. But how do I learn to trust him with my day-to-day struggles? The stuff that I'm tripped up on and I'm anxious about and I'm worried about. Because we all have those areas of unbelief. That's what Jesus did. He called out his disciples. He said, hey, you're not trusting what God says is true about you here. You need to adjust your perspective. And he spoke constantly, Jesus did, to his disciples about, this is where you're not trusting God. Have faith. Believe. Fear not. How many times did he say those things in the, in the Gospels? Over and over. In his book, Gospel Fluency, um, author Jeff Vanderstelt he says this, I struggle with unbelief on a daily basis. I have a conversation with my wife, and when she points out something I've yet to get better at, I hear the word failure in my head. I try to lead a good conversation about the Bible at the dinner table with my children, but instead of eager beavers on the edge of their seats, I get slouched bodies and rolling eyes. Bad father. I teach on being a good neighbor, one who knows the stories of the people who live on your street, but since I've moved into my current neighborhood, I know only the story of failed attempts to meet people, hypocrite, unbelief. I slip in and out of believing God's word about me and trusting his work for me. Jesus gave his life to make me a new creation. He died to forgive my sins and change my identity from sinner to saint, from failure to faithful, from bad to good, and even righteous and holy. But I forget what he has said about me. I forget what he has done for me. And sometimes it isn't just forgetfulness. Sometimes it's just plain unbelief. I know these things. I just don't believe them. I am an unbeliever. Not every moment, of course, but I have those moments. So do you. I'm certain of it. So I want to pause for a couple questions of discussion around this. And the first one is this. What do you think about the idea of slipping in and out of believing God's word to be true. You resonate with that? What do you guys think about that? Or maybe how have you seen that in your own life? What do you guys think? Lying to yourself. Lying to yourself. What do you mean by that? Uh, like saying
0: that you believe in Him and then you don't. You know? And, uh, yeah, you know, exactly.
1: Yeah. We- You a just a minute. It's just
0: up to you to take to take what he lays down
1: for you. Yeah, we can lie to ourselves. We deceive ourselves all the time. I do that. You guys do that? We think we, we ah, I totally believe you. I trust you, Jesus. And then the next moment we're we're living a different way. Right? Second question is: why do you think? God designed discipleship or spiritual growth to happen in the context of relationships. What do you think? I just I just threw you a softball from the last question. it
0: was the first person who invented support group. Mm-hmm.
1: <sighs> support group. I, I think it, it's that. I
0: mean, you know, just kind of like the people who are you're
1: accountable to. Yeah, people accountability. People to with that are doing the same
0: thing you're doing. Be there when you're having a
1: bad day or For sure. show you how to
0: do something that you're not
1: doing right. For sure. But what about what we were just talking about there with deceiving ourselves? How do other people fit into that? They call you out. They call you out. That's accountability, right? We need other people in our lives so we don't deceive ourselves. And we don't just say, well, I'm good. I'm fine. I trust God. And You know, a good friend, brother, sister in Christ can say, hey, you know, I'm, I'm seeing your behavior here. You say you trust Jesus, but your, your behavior's telling a different story, right? So, I want to talk about discipleship vehicles. Um, really, just giving some, some clarity to what we do as a church. How do we grow spiritually? How do we look at the model of Jesus? And so, when we think about these, we have three discipleship vehicles. The first one is the gathering, that's where you are. Surprise, you're in the gathering. Number two, we have missional communities, which many of you are a part of. And the third one is DNA groups, which many of you are also part of those. These are the three vehicles that we have to help move us forward spiritually in our growth. Now, the reason we use the word vehicles is because not every vehicle has the same purpose. If you were going to move all your stuff from your house to a new house, you would go get a moving truck, right? You'd call U-Haul, you'd get the big box truck, put all your stuff in there and move it. If you're going to go on a date with your spouse on a nice summer night, you're going to probably take like a car, like a convertible. If you have access to one of those, wouldn't that be awesome? Put the top down, go cruise on a nice summer night. I know we can't even think of summer right now, but it exists. Um, But if you're going to go, you know, on a date, you're probably not taking the the U-Haul. I mean, maybe you roll that way. I don't know, but... Not the best, you know, date night vehicle, and you're probably not going to take a convertible to go move all your stuff across town, or you have be making a lot of trips. Different <laughs> vehicles have different purposes, and that's how we see these three things amongst our spiritual growth. So I want to talk about the gathering just a little bit, and, and probably all know, we've been around church, we know what the gathering is. We, we gather for worship, we gather for the teaching of God's Word, for prayer, for serving, for relationships, encouragement. There's just so many awesome things. And I love the gathering, guys. I love seeing your faces every week. This is like the family reunion. We all get together and, and it's biblical. This is what Hebrews 10 says. Let us, not, or let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. So it's biblical to gather as the church, to be together. We need this. It's part of our, our spiritual vitality to be with God's people. The second vehicle that we have is missional communities. And when you look at the life of Jesus, spending time with his 12, doing life with them, life on life discipleship, tending to the heart, speaking the truths of the gospel into every corner and area of their life, that's what we're going for. They, they ate together. They hung out together. They did miracles. They served together. Uh, You look through the Gospels and you see all the things that Jesus did with his disciples. And I'm pretty sure they probably, you know, had some fun together. Like, I don't know what they did for fun. You know, go watch the camel races or something. You know, I don't know what they did in Jesus' day, but I'm sure they went and even hung out together. And so that's the idea with uh, missional communities is a communal kind of stuff. Like, you know, just... um, we have organized events like a family dinner night where you're, you're sharing a meal and a study. But that's not the goal of the MC. It isn't just to say, hey, we're getting together one night a week, but to let that expand into other areas of your life. To say, hey, we're hanging out, we're grabbing coffee. Maybe, I know MCs that vacation together. They take trips together. This is where life on life discipleship happens. But it takes an intentional relational commitment. That You have to give people access to your life. And unfortunately, many of us, we don't really want to let people in. We're like, we have trust issues, or we're we're afraid, or maybe we've been hurt in the past. But this is where the good stuff happens, you guys. Um, Even after Jesus ascended and he left, he went back to heaven, uh, his disciples continued, the the church in the the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, they continued this communal life. Look at what it says in verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship the breaking of bread into prayer. Then verse 46, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. So if you look at the book of Acts and you read that latter part of chapter two, they sold all their stuff. They moved in together. They shared all their bills. That sounds a little weird, doesn't it? Like if you want to do that, Go for it. I don't think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sign up for that myself. Um, it sounds a little over the top maybe. Uh, maybe that was a, a different time. I don't know. Um, but the point is that this idea of life-on-life relationship, of, of like opening your heart, opening your life, opening your schedule to other people, I think we, can, we see that, and it's so beautiful. I want to give you an example um, of just how this can look in an MC. Like... Um, I'll just give you a hypothetical. So we're going to say Beth and Chloe. These are not real people, but I've heard this story play out many, many times in real life. So Beth and Chloe are a part of the same missional community. And on Wednesday night, they gathered at Chloe's home. They had a meal. They did a study, and they were talking about just anxiety and and where that comes from. And Beth opened up, and she said, you know, I've got this boss, and he's a real jerk, and I can never do enough. Like I never measure up. I never get, you know, an accolade from him and he's always on my back and I just feel like he's always riding me and I can never, I can never get my performance high enough for him. Well, they, they had the meal and a couple days later, they were, Beth and Chloe were sitting there watching their kids play soccer. Their kids play on the same soccer team. And so they're sitting on the side of the field watching the kids run up and down and play soccer. And Chloe brings it up. She says, how are you doing, Beth, with your anxiety? She says, well... I'm still fighting with my boss, and you can see she starts to fidget in her chair. And in that moment, Chloe's able to say, Beth, you know, I know that thing with your boss is hard, and you can't really control it, but just know that you serve a God who loves you unconditionally, and you serve a God who knows you intimately. And no matter what you do at work, Jesus loves you completely, and there's grace for that. And in that moment, um, Beth is able to just kind of exhale and just rest in the reality of who she is in Christ. And that's what gospel fluency looks like. It's just natural conversations that happen along the side of a soccer field or over a cup of coffee. And I think that's the stuff that we often miss out on when we just try to program discipleship into a class or into a book by itself. Um, The next vehicle that we have, the third one is DNA groups. Many of you have been a part of these. These are three to four people of the same gender. Uh, we also see Jesus doing this kind of thing. He he had, so Jesus had the 72. There's a large group. Then he had the 12 that he spent time with, the 12 disciples. But Jesus also had the three. You guys know what I'm talking about? The three? Peter, James, and John. These were the kind of his inner circle. Jesus spent special time with Peter, James, and John. So I want to look at a couple of scriptures that show us this. The first one is in Mark 5, and it says this While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, Do not be afraid, just believe he did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. So this was a miracle moment that Jesus had. He healed the daughter of Jairus, the synagogue leader, and he only brought Peter, James, and John. These were the only three guys that he brought. This was an intimate setting. For whatever reason, Jesus had a special purpose for these three guys. Then in Matthew 17, after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as the light. We know this is the transfiguration. Again, Jesus brought the three, had this mountaintop experience with them and they were able to have that intimate setting with Jesus. So DNA groups stand for discover, nurture, act. Discover, what does the Bible say? What is the truth of the scripture? We discover that. Nurture. How do we impact that from our heart? How do we know something, but then let it drop into our heart? Uh, how do we nurture the heart and then act? What am I going to do about it? How am I, I going to live this out in a very tangible way? So it's head, heart, hands. Discover, nurture, act. And so that's the, that's the process that we go through. Um, we have a, a study guide that we use as a church, the DNA guide. That's great. Helps us understand the, the big picture of the gospel. Helps us understand our identity, God's big story. A lot of the themes that you'll hear us talk about with Missio. Uh, but one of the cool things about it is it has what's called a gospel change project woven into the, to the book. And that sounds kind of weird. You're like, what is a gospel change project? Well, Basically, what that means is that there's something in your life that you want to change, something that does not reflect Jesus. In one of the previous DNA groups that I was in, there was a a gentleman who struggled with anger, and he said, I want to be a man of peace. I want to be known that I just, I have peace, and I'm not an angry person. And so that was his thing. We came back to it week after week. How are you doing with that? How are you growing in that? What needs to change in your, in your belief system, in your identity to live out that being a man of peace? And we saw over a series of weeks that he made progress. That's what we're going for, right? Transformation. How do I look more like Jesus later on than I do right now? And a DNA group is a great way to do that. So I want to pause for two more questions of discussion before we wrap this. The first one is this. What obstacles do you face when it comes to inner life transformation? Anybody want to be super vulnerable here? What obstacles do you face when it comes to inner life transformation? Not
0: wanting to do the work.
1: Not wanting to do the work? It's pretty honest. What else? Being vulnerable and available. Being vulnerable, vulnerable and available. What do you mean by that? Yeah. Work in my relationship with Jesus yeah. keeping our guard up does not help us grow spiritually walking attack is not going to work anymore yeah. I've got to be vulnerable with my hands instead of this way, I've got to be this way yep yep, we have to be vulnerable and we have to be available absolutely, anything else? listening to what God tells you to do <laughs> listening to what God tells you to do <laughs> or maybe obeying what God tells you to do <laughs> how about time? just say, I'm too busy. That's a a very common one, I think. How about the second one? What might need to change in your life to become more intentional with discipleship? Make it a priority. Make it a priority. What else?
0: I think that word intentional pretty much says it all. You have to intend for something.
1: Yeah. Oh, stop, stop. We have to be intentional. Yeah. But what might need to change? What needs to change? Anybody? Heart maybe? You guys are shy this morning. I don't know what the deal is. Yeah, just an open heart to say, "Okay, Jesus, I want to grow. I want to be honest about my hang-ups. I want to be honest with other people, available, intentional." See, as a church, we don't program a ton of things. That's on purpose. Like, I've been part of different churches where we had just just a ton of programs, a ton of studies, a ton of classes, all that stuff, and there are a lot of churches out there that do that. We don't do that on purpose because we don't want to program your life so full of activity that you don't have margin for relationships. You don't have time to spend with your family and your friends and the people that you're investing in, people of peace. Like we want to make margin for you, but we also wanna be super intentional with our efforts to become more like Jesus. And so we don't program a bunch of stuff in because we believe that Jesus had a very basic model of discipleship. Hang out with people, it's relational. Speaking the truth in love, gospel fluency, it just flows naturally into our conversations, into who we are. See, Jesus, he could have, he could have you know, dropped off a group, a you know, set of DVDs and said, this follow this plan. Or he could have you know, started a Bible college or, or done some kind of a thing like that. But what did Jesus do? He trained up 11 guys, gave them three years of his life, and they started a movement that's still going today. Like you're sitting here today because of what Jesus did with those 11 disciples. It's mind-blowing when you let that sink in That relational discipleship works. It's God's plan for his kingdom. And I don't know where you're at today, um, but I want every person in this room to grow in their gospel fluency. I want you to reflect Jesus more in the next year. And we wanna help you do that. And so if that looks like getting into a missional community, we wanna help you do that today. If that looks like being a part of a DNA group, let us help you resource that today. Um, And if, if you're already doing those things, great. Bring somebody else along with you. That's one of the greatest ways to grow. If you feel like you're kind of plateauing, you're kind of getting stale, start reaching out to other people. You'll be surprised what God will do to your own heart. We turn inward, we start to get stinky, okay? And so I hope that we can stand here, we can, we can be in this room a year from now and I, I just imagine the stories that maybe we could tell, like look what God did in the last year. Look at the people who came to faith. Look at the obstacles that were overcome. Look at the marriages that were healed. Look at the relationships between parents and and kids that were restored. Look at all the breakthroughs and how the gospel has transformed lives. And look at the people who got baptized and gave their life to Jesus. Man, that's what I'm excited about. That's why I love being a part of church planting. Now, I know that today was a little bit different type of sermon. This isn't our normal thing, but I wanted to just be very direct with you this is who we are and and i've had people in the past ask me well if i'm not in a missional community can i still be part of the church absolutely this isn't a requirement these are opportunities these are vehicles to help you grow spiritually so don't feel all beat up or you have to do it but we are going to pass a a sheet if you want to sign up and you want to be a part of that we want to help you like we want to help you grow in your relationship with jesus I'm so glad that God is gracious with us, that he's put us in this time, in this space, so that we can further his kingdom and we can do it together. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for loving us. Thank you for this invitation to be a part of your kingdom and to see it expand in Bismarck, Mandan, Lincoln, this part of the country. God, we are so grateful for what you've done in the past year. We celebrated last Sunday, just story after story of of life change, transformation, and and we just give you thanks. Thanks God for 2023. And we look forward to this next year. We look forward with anticipation. We look forward with hope of what you're gonna do. And God, we just want to be available. And so help us to focus and to put um, just our best foot forward in, in growing and becoming more like you, Jesus. And may we be able to look back at the end of this year and say, yeah, God did some amazing, amazing things. We give you all the glory and all the praise for it. We love you, Jesus, in your name. Amen.
0: Josh left us with a few takeaways from today's service. A different framework for discipleship. Relational versus educational. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came to earth from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus' way of discipleship was not a classroom, but teaching as he lived life with his disciples. The best spiritual growth happens in the context of relationships. The process of tending to the heart and applying the truths of the gospel to all of life is something we call gospel fluency. Gospel fluency The gospel is good news for my parenting, my career, my finances, my plans, my whole life. The definition of discipleship is moving from unbelief to belief in every area of life in light of the gospel. Discipleship Vehicles, the Gathering, Missional Communities, DNA Groups. The gathering is getting family together once a week for worship, teaching, prayer, and serving. Missional communities are living life and following Jesus together as a family of servant missionaries. DNA groups. These are smaller, more intimate setting of three to four people of the same gender. Discussion questions. What do you think about the idea of slipping in and out of believing in God's word to be true? How have you seen this in your life? Why do you think God designed discipleship, spiritual growth, to happen in the context of relationships? What obstacles do you face when it comes to inner life transformation? What might need to change in your life to become more intentional with discipleship? Thanks again for listening, Missio Family, and we'll see you again next week.